Good morning, Cornerstone Church, and welcome to our online service. It's great to see you this morning, and I know that we are weary, we are tired, we are, we've had enough, and folks, it isn't great, is it? Let's call it what it is. This is a difficult period for us all, so I hope and I trust that you guys are doing as well as is expected during these difficult times. We've been spending the last few weeks looking at the tensions that we face as Christian people. That within the Bible, there are truths that appear to contradict each other when actually both are true and both can and should be held in tension. We saw a few weeks ago that God is a sovereign God in control of all things, but we also as human beings are held responsible for our actions. We saw that God is a God of wrath against sin and against evil, but he's also a God who is merciful and patient and slow to anger. And we saw last week that the Lord Jesus Christ who came, and we're going to be celebrating that in a couple of months' time, Jesus who came was fully God, but also fully man. And this week, folks, we're going to be looking at the tension that we have as Christian people. Are we sinners saved by grace? Or are we saints? Or are we both? Do we live through this life with a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other one telling us to do bad things, the other trying to point us in the way of God. Are we just sinners saved by grace or are we just saints? What is the tension that we have to hold in this? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7 and I'm going to be reading from chapter 7 verse 14. Let's read that together. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have desired to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. So the question is, as Christians, are we sinners or are we saints? Now, there's a spectrum for this that I think that we, we, we can land on somewhere within that, but at the two ends of the spectrum can be lived out in these ways. Now, there's one end of the spectrum, of the sinner-saint spectrum, that, 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 that explains and proclaims the truths of Christ. It, it tells us that we are in Christ. We are righteous. We are right before God. We are new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. Therefore, we are, are constantly living in complete victory because we are more than conquerors. Folks, those things are true in the Bible. But there are people and there are those who are Christians who would have a state of mind that that is the constant way to view. And therefore, therefore, we don't sin. Therefore, the brokenness of the world does not affect us. That is one end of 
the spectrum. Now, the other end of the spectrum is a thinking that we can't do anything to please God. That, that my righteousness, my good e deeds are even like filthy rags. And I am a sinner who was saved by grace. Now, again, folks, that is also true. But to land in one of those ends of those spectrums, actually ignoring the other truths, puts us in real difficulty. If we land at one end and we think that everything is victorious, when we deal with brokenness, when we sin, we have nowhere to go with it. But if we live at the other end of the spectrum, that I am nothing just but a filthy sinner that is saved by grace, there is nothing that I can do, therefore we don't enjoy the hope and the blessing of what it is to be in Christ and what it is to be a new creation. To know the truth that the old is gone and the new has come. It's interesting, I worked for a Christian organization uh, in Eastern Europe and Africa and I traveled around the world and I worked with Christians from all over the world who had all different theological uh, flavors and backgrounds to where they were. And I saw this and I saw this, that there were people that were totally positive in every context because we, we are more than conquerors in Christ. And I also saw those who really struggled because they only viewed themselves in light of being a sinner who've been saved by grace. Often, folks, we can hear it when people pray. We can hear it when people pray that actually their prayers are just full of, 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 I am sorry, please forgive me, we are this, we are that, but we thank you for your mercy. Or it's the other end of the spectrum that we're able to take the streets, we're able to take the, the city in the name of Christ because that's who we are. Now, folks, I'm not saying that those prayers are wrong, but often those prayers will indicate where people land on this spectrum, this tension that we have. Are we just sinners saved by grace? Or are we saints? Or are we both? Now, in that passage that I've just read from Romans 7, Paul, leading up to this, has been unpacking the wonder of the gospel. He's been very clear regarding who we are. He's been very clear regarding where we are before God and that we require saving. And actually, we are saved purely by what Jesus has done for us, by the mercy and the grace of God, that we don't deserve it, but God graciously comes and saves us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we get to chapter 7, we get this insight to the wrestle that Paul is feeling as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are disagreements over where Paul is coming from in chapter 7, but my conviction is this, that what we are seeing here is the struggle that Paul is having with sin after becoming a Christian, not before. Now, as we see these insights to Paul's struggle, what we see is that there is a real conflict going on. Now, whoever you are, and wherever you land on this sinner-saint spectrum, if you are truly honest with yourselves, you would agree with Paul. You would recognize and resonate with what we've just read and, and, and what he says. Folks, we can't get away from the fact that when you read through that passage, Paul clearly is a sinner. Have a look at verse 14. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, Paul is aware of the rooted power of sin, that his flesh is sold under sin. So what that means is his flesh has a bias towards that brokenness, towards that offense, towards that sin. 
And he knows that the law reveals a brokenness in his spirituality, in his walk, in his flesh. But he's sold under it. It's like he can't get away from it. He moves on into verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, folks, Paul understands the wonderful truth of the gospel. He understands and he knows what Jesus has done for him. And, and so, do, so do we as Christian people. And we understand, like Paul, what that means. And when we understand that, when we know that, we don't want to sin like Paul here. I don't want to do these things. But he is so baffled and he is so perplexed because he finds himself doing the very thing that he hates. I don't want this. I hate this. Why am I still doing these things? Does that resonate with you? It resonates with me. Folks, it resonates with me in my own life. I've been a Christian for so many years. I've been a leader in the church for many, many years, and I still battle with the same sins. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I'm doing the very things that I hate, even though I know the gospel, even though I know the truth of who I am in Christ. And folks, it resonates with me when I talk with other people, when I, when I pastor other people, and people have fallen into sin, and often repetitive sin, and again, they say this, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing this? And there's this constant struggle, and this constant battle that perplexes us and baffles us as we walk with Jesus. And he goes on in verse 16 to 18, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, folks, here Paul isn't abdicating his responsibility by saying, it is no longer I who sin, but the, dwell, but the sin that dwells within me. But he does know theologically what is going on. He does understand the situation. See, he is saying that the law of God, which shows us sin, is doing its job. It's doing its job. So we read the law of God. It reveals to us our brokenness. It reveals to us our sinfulness. So it's doing its job. But he is also saying that the reason he is sinning is because sin, even though he is a Christian, still resides in his flesh. It is still part of his inherited nature that he has because of Adam's first sin in the garden. So, so there's this conflict and this perplexing situation where it's like, I, I, I know that the law has revealed to me my sin, so the law is doing what the law should do, reveal to me my brokenness and the righteousness of God. So therefore, when I sin, I know it's not me, but it's sin that resides within me. Now, he's still taking responsibility, but also reckons theologically that actually he is not experiencing the fullness of what it is to be a sinner saved by grace, to be a, a saint in all its fullness without sin. But it's the sin that is still there because of the inherited nature that he takes because of Adam. Now, what's also encouraging in these verses is that he, Paul, knows that nothing good comes from the sins of the flesh. We know that, don't we? As Christian people, we know, even the sins that we're now aware of, we know that if we follow the root of those sins, the root of that brokenness, the root of that rejection and that offense, 
It doesn't bring happiness and blessing and growth. So he knows that. And Paul's desire is not to do what is wrong, but to do what is right. Folks, of course that's the case for us as Christians. But he recognizes, even though that is his desire, to walk in the ways of God and do what is right and not in the ways of evil and do what is sinful, he also recognizes that in and of himself, he does not have the ability to stop it. He doesn't have the ability to do it in and of himself. I just can't help myself. Have you been there? Are you there? And then he goes on in verses 19 to 23 of chapter 7. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. See, Paul is saying there are times when I don't do what is right and I sin. Now, it's not that he never does good, but he recognizes even when he does good, evil is crouching, waiting, and is still at hand. He also goes on, and in this he's saying, look, look, I know that the law is good. Paul loves the word of God because he knows that it always leads to blessing and growth. In contrast, to sin always leads to brokenness. It always leads to failure. It always leads to something that we don't want to do, but the Word of God always leads to blessing and growth. And sin never does. Yet he has this constant war going on in his mind and in his members that is doing his head in. It's doing his head in. Now, folks, even as Christian people, we know the truth. But this war and this conflict, this tension that we have, if you, if you, if you are truly honest with yourself, does your head in. It does your head in to the point that for some of us, if not all of us, we just want to throw off this brokenness. We want to throw off this sinfulness. We want to just burn it up. We want it to go completely. And it brings us to a point, just like Paul in verses... 24 for us to cry out with all that we have cry out with everything who will save me from this wretched body of unrighteousness if you read the day verse 24 oh wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death folks that is a prayer of a sinner who is grieving their sin Do you resonate with this? I do. This constant struggle and battle with sin. Sin of the mind. Sin of the members. Sin of the mind and the members that are often and always connected. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of unrighteousness? Folks, do you grieve your sin? Or are you just blase to it? Do you grieve your sin in that, that actually even the sins that nobody knows 
apart from God Himself? Do you grieve those sins? Or are you the type of person that actually just think shows worldly remorse when you're found out? Folks, the reality is this. We are found out. Because God knows. God knows. And not only does God know, we know that the pursuit and the constant living in that brokenness never brings blessing, never brings growth. If anything, it makes us feel a million miles away from God and his people. So folks, we read this passage and we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, is clearly a sinner. But as we read through this passage, we will also see that Paul is clearly a saint. Have a look at verse 15. He says this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. The simple fact that Paul recognizes that he's doing what he hates shows that Paul wants to be righteous. Paul wants to live a life that honors and glorifies God. He doesn't want to sin. He doesn't want sin in his mind. He wants his mind and he wants his heart to be in tune with what it is to be a follower of Jesus. He wants to live as the saint that God says that he is. See, we know that he's a saint because he's aware of his sin. He's aware of his rejection of God. And he hates it. Do you hate your sin, folks? Do you hate it? Verse 17, he goes, So no, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. See, Paul is still taking responsibility for his actions, but now he is aware that his identity isn't defined by his sin. No, I, I'm not defined by this. See, what causes me to sin, what, what, what makes me sin is this sin that resides within me. Jesus has dealt with that sin, and one day I'm going to feel the fullness of what that means to live a life without that sin. He's a saint who is still affected by his sin. And verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Folks, what is Paul's desire here? His desire is to do what is right. And it's a desire to do what is right, not according to his standards, not according to his law, but it's a desire to do what is right according to God's law, to God's standards. It's a desire to obey the one who has saved him. It's a, it's a desire to follow in the footsteps of the one who has broken sin and has conquered sin and death and hell. It is a desire to do, live a life that glorifies and honors him and represents him to the world. It is a desire to live for God. Folks, the saints of the living God desire to live for him. The saints of the living God know that to walk away from him and pursue self and selfish desires and the sinful things of this world is not the calling on our lives, but rather the calling of our lives is to be holy. For he is holy. And the very cry that we read before in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That is not only the prayer of a sinner that is grieving their sin, it is also the prayer of a saint. He acknowledges his sin. 
He acknowledges his weakness. He is grieving his sin. He knows that he can't save himself and he needs an outside power and an outside goodness to address his sin and to save me. I'm a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Folks, Paul is a sinner. And yet Paul also is a saint who is wrestling with his sin. So folks, why should we expect anything different? This is also the tension that we walk through. That we who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are declared to be saints, but we still sin. We wrestle with our sins. So what do we do? Do we just ignore it? Do we just pretend that it doesn't happen? Do we acquiesce and just say, well, this is my lot. This is the way that I've been made. This is the struggle that I am. This is the way I've been born. This is just the way that it is, and I've just got to muddle on through. Folks, do we just continue through the cycle of, of struggle, of one minute seeking to live for Jesus, then the next minute falling and sinning and being forgiven and getting back on track and then doing again? And not only what, we, what do we do, but folks, what is our focus in the midst of this tension? Is our focus sinfulness? Is our focus to, to just be a saint? Do we have to camp out at one end of the sinner-saint spectrum? No. Folks, we need to make sure that our response and where our heart is is exactly the same as where Paul's is as he walks through this tension. See, to camp out at an end of this sinner saint spectrum means you have to ignore the other truth, but Paul doesn't do that here. No, Paul holds both intention and walks through this wrestle with a perspective of hope. A perspective of hope. So in the midst of this, Paul's response is hope. Look, folks, from from, from chapter 7, verse 24, through to chapter 8, verse 1, this is what Paul then goes on to say, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, it is hope. It is hope that leads to worship. It is hope that leads to proclamation. It is hope that leads to praise in the midst of this struggle. See, Paul can cry out for help, and he knows where that help and that hope come from. And he knows it with such confidence. Why? Because as a Christian, he is in Christ Jesus. He is united to Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation. Folks, what news? For those of us who are Christians, we are so united to Jesus that when the Father sees us, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our brokenness, but he sees the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are in him. We are united to him. What news, what hope in the wrestle and the fight that we have with sin. Now, folks, our union with Christ is such a source of hope. We need to understand this. That because of grace and through faith in Christ, Christ's death is counted as, uh, life, sorry, is counted as ours. So Jesus lived a life that we could never live. He lived that perfect life. Jesus never wrestled with this tension of sin. 
He lived the perfect life that none of us can live. But that, because of our faith in him, is counted to us. That Christ's death is counted as ours. That the Lord Jesus Christ, who took the sin of the world upon himself and dies in our place, conquering sin, paying the debt and the judgments of sin, what he does in his death is counted to us. So our sin is paid for. There is no condemnation because the condemnation has been put on Jesus instead of us. And folks, we are united to him in that Christ's resurrection is counted as ours. That Jesus died upon a cross, paying the sin, and we know that the payment was paid in full because God raised him from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He is risen again, never to die again in a glorious resurrected body. And we who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ know that when we die physically, we will rise again. We will live for an eternity. So the truth of, of 2 Corinthians, that the old has gone and the new has come, that we are new creations, is true for us now. And we will experience that in all its fullness when Jesus returns. Folks, God the Father, the judge of sin, looks at us because of our faith in Christ and declares us forgiven pardoned, justified, not guilty. When he looks at us, he sees his perfect, glorious, resurrected son, Jesus. See, folks, Paul doesn't face condemnation because of Paul. He doesn't, he doesn't not, sorry, face condemnation because of he's been able to wrestle through and not engage in that repetitive sin for the last three years or the last three weeks or the last three days. No, Paul doesn't face condemnation because of Jesus. And folks, that's true for us. It's not that we have to live our lives so God would love us. No, God loves us. Therefore, let us live our lives in a way that presents his holiness to the world. Let us live in a way that takes his word, that helps us, that encourages us. We want to live lives that reflect the holiness of the God who has saved us. Folks, as Christian people, we're able to say we will not face condemnation, not because of what we do, but purely because of what Jesus has done. Folks, whatever you struggle with, whatever your sin is, whatever your repetitive sin, whatever your dirty toilet is that you keep going back and drinking from all the time, even when you don't want to, even when you know it's not good for you, even when you hate it and you keep going back there, I want to tell you this, that if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will face no condemnation. Does that mean we keep going there? No, we don't. Of course we don't. There is no sin that you can imagine that is stronger than the love of Jesus Christ. That is true, Christian. That is true. So how do we walk in the tension that we are saints that still sin? How do we walk in that tension? Well, let me change the language. How do we fight? How do we fight? If there is a war raging in us, we need to fight, not just stroll through it. We need to fight. But folks, we don't fight in our own strength. Remember what Paul said in chapter 7, verse 18? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it 
out. Now, what Paul says next, folks, is so key for us in understanding what it is for us to fight through this tension. And it's so key for us to, to, to understand what God is doing as he daily makes us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, folks, the help that we need in order to fight through this, to live lives of godliness as saints that still sin, is the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say, as you read it through in chapter 8, that we have to walk by the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us the Spirit of God. We're united to him in and through the Spirit. The third member of the Trinity, God himself, dwells within us. And we are to walk by the Spirit. Let me read it, verses 3 to 4 of Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, folks, Paul is saying that Jesus has done in the flesh what we couldn't, what we can't. He lived a perfect life and he dealt with sin on the cross. And that truth now is counted to us. So therefore, as saints... We no longer walk according to the sinful flesh that Jesus has dealt with, but rather according to the spirit that he has given us. See, folks, it's the spirit of God that helps us walk through this life. It's the spirit of God that enables us to grow in relationship with Jesus. It is the spirit that leads us to all truth that we find in his word, that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. And folks, it is as we pray, as we read his word, as we, as we praise, as we engage in his community, as we take communion, it is there where the Spirit meets us and where we grow to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, let me clarify for this. this it's not the process of prayer. It's not the process of reading. It's not the process of studying. It's not the process of being in community and gospel communities. It's not the process of eating bread and drinking wine that unites us to Christ. no. No, we are united to Christ by grace through faith. But it's in these means of grace and in these means of blessing where the Spirit meets us, where we walk with the Spirit. Folks, we can't say we walk with the Spirit if we don't read God's Word. We can't say that we walk with the Spirit if we don't pray to God. We can't say that we walk in the Spirit as we walk through this tension if we, 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 we abdicate responsibility to love and to engage with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even in these most difficult of times. Folks, we can't say we walk in the Spirit if we don't want the Spirit to meet us as we remember the Lord in the broken bread and in the wine. And folks, for us as a church, we have not done that for months and we should be feeling it. We've not gathered together as a church on a Sunday and we should be feeling it. Why? Because it's those means of grace that have been taken from us where the Spirit meets us. Now, folks, the Spirit is everywhere and the Spirit indwells, so the Spirit is with us. But, but folks, we should feel a heaviness because walking in the Spirit seems more difficult now. So we need to trust God in what he's doing in the midst of this. We need to be in his word. We need to be connecting as much as we can. We need to be praying and trusting that he is doing what he promises he will do. Folks, our union with Jesus is sealed. 
There is no change. There is no condemnation. But our communion with Jesus can be affected. It can be affected if we don't meet the Spirit in these means of grace. It can be affected. Folks, I think most of us have been affected because a number of those means of grace have been removed. In fact, let me change that. I know that to be true. I know it to be true because of the pastoral situations that have occurred over the last few months, of which the heat of COVID and the heat of coronavirus has exposed, has caused. Folks, we are to walk by the Spirit. And to walk according to the Spirit is to listen. It's to step in. And it's not to grieve Him. but allow him to do his work that enables us to fight as we walk by the Spirit. See, the fight means walking by the Spirit, but the fight also means thinking by the Spirit. Verse 5 of Romans 8, he says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set them... Set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, what's interesting, later on in this letter in chapter 12, Paul says that we are not to be conformed to the things of this world, but rather we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Folks, as Christians, we think differently. Our eyes have been opened to, the, to the, the reality of who God is, the brokenness of this world, therefore it changes how we think and it should change how we make sense of the world. See, in Christ our minds have been changed and here Paul is saying it's the Spirit of God that shows us life and brings peace in our thinking. So if our minds are set on the flesh, our sin, our standards, therefore that will affect how we make sense of the world. And where does that lead us? To hostility towards God and to death. However, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit leads to what? Leads to life and leads to peace. Folks, if our minds are set on the flesh, Paul says there, we are hostile towards God and we, we can't submit to his law. However, it is the Spirit who leads us to the truth, who opens our eyes to the wonder of God's law, and we see the life and the peace and the joy and the blessing that we find in the Word of God. We find, as we engage with His people, that we find when we sing praises to Him, of which we are missing so much as a church. And when that happens, we also, with the psalmist who wrote, Your Word is like honey on my lip. we can understand what he means we appreciate what he says and then we're able to take our thoughts captive we're able to have self-control when we think when we're tempted to sin we're able to think on good things we're able to have the mind of Christ among us we're able to live for him we're able to honour him, we're able to obey him, and we're able to worship him. Folks, part of the fight is thinking by the Spirit. And finally, part of the fight is warring by the Spirit. Verse 12 of chapter 8 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, 
not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Folks, if you are a Christian, you have signed up for conflict. You've signed up for this tension. Before you were a Christian, you weren't even aware of sin in the same way. Before you were a Christian, you lived in certain ways that you wouldn't have even said were sinful. So to become a Christian means that you've signed up for this conflict, this tension, this wrestle. See, we are to walk, think, and fight by the Spirit to grow up to be who we are in Jesus. To be a Christian is not a step into being passive. No, the posture that we need to take is not passivity, but activity. To fight, to step into the conflict knowing that Jesus is with us in the midst of it. And we do this knowing that we saints are not only saints, but we are what? What does it say here? Children. We have our dad, Abba, who was right with us, helping us, loving us, being patient with us, encouraging us, protecting us, having secure for us an, an eternal hope. That eternal hope that when the effects of the war that has been won by Jesus will be experienced in all its fullness. Folks, yes, we are sinners, but we are saints, and we have a dad who is so patient, so loving, so encouraging, and secured for us in his son, Jesus Christ, a hope where one day we won't have this tension anymore, praise God. One day that the struggle that we have with sexual sin, with pride, with coveting our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's car or our neighbor's home. When we have the sin of ambition that is all, making it all about me. When we have critical spirits, the very things that we hate, the very things that we hate when we think, the very things that we hate that cause so much pain to so many other people and most importantly, grieve God himself. Folks, we have a dad who is right with us in and through the Spirit of God who says there's no condemnation on you because of my son Jesus. There is no sin that you can imagine that is stronger than my love and it's all yours. So come home again to me. Folks, some of us need to come back to God. Some of us need to run to the Father who is, has his arms wide open. Some of us are turned away from him, and because we're turned away from him, we're turned away from people that we love and people that we care for. Some of us think that we're, 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 we're in the right place, when folks, sometimes we've just got to lay it all down and stop trying to fight it ourselves and just submit to the wonder of God in and through the Spirit and receive that the fact that there is not going to be any condemnation. Some of us folks need to wage war against this sin with the help of the Spirit. Some of us need to get in the Word and we need to pray and we need to ask God to show us to fill our hearts with the treasure of His Word, make us understand what it means to taste His Word like honey on our lips 
Folks, some of us need to do that. Yes, in the midst of the hope that there is no condemnation, but we are missing out with communion with Jesus because we are wallowing in our sin. We need to fight this, folks. And folks, never before has there been a time where people are looking for lives that display hope. And never has there been a time in my lifetime where the temptation to sin in all different ways is massive. Spirits of the living God, come upon us, we ask now. Spirits of the living God, come upon every man and woman and child in every living room, in every office, in every kitchen who is watching this now and we ask that you will enable your people to fight in this tension, knowing the hope of no condemnation in Christ. Folks, what shall we say to these things then? Because we know that God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19 or lockdown? Folks, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Folks, these are the truths that we need to hear in the midst of this difficult time. And folks, for some of you who may be not watching, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who do, in your being, understand this wrestle of brokenness, this wrestle of sinfulness, folks, that is a rejection against the God I'm talking about. And if you reject who he is and reject that he has stepped in, in and through his son, to save you from the judgment of your sin, if you reject that, if you walk away from that, if you, you, you ignore that and you decide to just figure it out for yourself, folks, I'm telling you now, you cannot, in the midst of you crying, who can save me, then turn around and say, thanks be to God, because there is no condemnation because I have faith in Jesus. No, the condemnation is upon you. You will be judged for what you've done. You will stand before a living God. Folks, will you stand before him as your judge or will you stand before him as your saviour? Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and this wrestle that we all feel will be a wrestle where you will be enabled by the Spirit to walk through because Jesus has saved you. Jesus would have changed you. Jesus would have opened your eyes to the wonder of who he is and the hope that he truly promises. Right now, wherever you are, thank him that he stepped in to save a wretched sinner like you. Give your life to him. Ask him to forgive you. Become a Christian. Become a child. Become a saint. And by the Spirit of God, battle through 
till the Lord Jesus returns and we experience the fullness of being new creations with the old gone and the new come in all its fullness for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you that I am a sinner who has been saved by grace. That those of us who are Christians are sinners who have been saved by grace. And not only have you saved us by your grace, all what Jesus has done has been given to us and counted to us. And I wanna praise and thank you that when you look at us, you see him. I wanna praise and thank you that even in the wrestle of my sin, I know that there is no condemnation, but I ask that you would fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and enable me and enable our brothers and sisters Father, who are watching, enable us by your Spirit to wage war against the sin and live lives of holiness for your glory. Help us, we pray. And Father, oh, I long to break bread with my brothers and sisters. How oh, I long to sing. How oh, I long, Lord, to preach your word amongst brothers and sisters. We are missing those means of grace. Holy Spirit, meet with us in our prayer. Meet with us in our reading. Meet with us as we look at creation. Meet with us, Father, even when we are on our own, knowing that in Christ we are connected to him, but also to each other. And Father, protect your people. Those who are struggling, be with them. Comfort them. Those who are in sin, convict and bring them back. Lord, help us, we pray. And Father, as we step into four weeks of lockdown, help us to know that you are with us, that we can walk through this together, that we are still the salt of the earth, we are still the hope of the world. Help us as we live in this, help us not to sin. Help us not to sin in our minds and in our actions and in our words, forgive us for that, forgive me for that, I pray. And help us live these, these next day, next week, next four weeks with the joy that is only found in knowing Jesus. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.